so to mention about the book of Isaiah, it is it is such a complete book and take the time to just think about what we've gone, you know, what we've learned and what we've talked about over 66 chapters in Isaiah. It is really astounding the things that we've learned and there's so much that we could, you know, we could we for, could forget it. So I did put together a PowerPoint. I thought about doing a quiz, but there's so many things in Isaiah that it would be difficult to pick out, you know, 50 questions and say, remember those things. So instead, I put together a PowerPoint that will talk about the sections that we've talked in, uh, remind us of some of the things, maybe some of the very interesting things. It's all interesting, but things that we talked about in Isaiah that we don't find in other books of the Bible uh, that just even help us understand God more, understand his creation more, appreciate um, the coming of the Messiah more, because in Isaiah we have so many, so many facts and prophecies about the coming Messiah. And you may recall that we talked about many of those as we went through them, even the location of where he was born. And remember, we put up the maps and I went to think about putting that map up today and I completely forgot about it until I'm talking about it now. But even the map of where Christ is born was born and how it talks about that in Isaiah that pinpoints the area that he would come from and the the um, the the significance of that. So. Let me go ahead and put up this PowerPoint. And as we go through it, if anything comes to mind that anyone wants to talk about and fill in the blanks or something that they remember, please feel free to feel free to just talk. Um, you know, if there's anything that you don't remember, uh, you know, we can spend some time talking about that. I've got my all my notes to the book of Isaiah right here. One of the nice things about living in the time we live in, even as you ever want to go back and and hear about some of Isaiah again. It is all on recordings, uh, chapter by chapter, chapter by chapter online as well. So uh, let me pull this up if I can do that. And we will go ahead and get, we will go ahead and get started. Can you see that? No, not yet. Not no, yet. can't see it. Okay, I mean, I've done something not right here then. I'll have my challenge, I guess, here tonight. Let me um, share screen. Hmm. Now, can you can you see that now? I should have. I should have tried this. Uh, tried this before I I went to it. Let me. Um, does that show up on the screen? No. I'm thinking. I'm thinking no because I can't see any faces off to the side like I normally can. Okay. <laughs> let me. Uh, let me see what I'm not doing correctly here. So. Did you check your Zoom settings? Um, I'm not really sure what my Zoom settings are, but I think I did. I think I did. I'm hitting share screen. 
Yeah, Mr. Shea, maybe, maybe if you click on the PowerPoint one first and then click share after that, that might help. After you click share screen, it should ask which, which, which one, yeah, which, which one to click on, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Ah, uh, okay. I, I, which I, icon I, to pick? I, which I, icon? I see that now. There, there. Th this should do it then. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that help. I didn't go all the way down with all the windows. Many windows open. It didn't get all the way down to the uh, to the bottom of it here. So, um, okay. Let me. Oh, and let me begin the screen here. F you know what? what do you see? Do you see a little waiting room thing in the middle of the screen there, or do you just see the PowerPoint? We see the PowerPoint. Okay. Just the PowerPoint. Yeah. Okay. Isaiah okay. 1 to 5. Gotcha. Okay. There you go. Good. Here we are. Okay. Okay. Sorry about that. I'm going to have to do a little bit of a... Do a little bit of practice on my share screens before we get started on another one of these. But anyway, let me just go through some of a summary here of the the Bible studies on on Isaiah. You'll remember that Isaiah we talked significantly about the the kings that he prophesied under um, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahab, Hezekiah. They were all different people. Uzziah and 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 Isaiah learned from each one of them. Right? Uzziah was very very strong in the Lord, very strong with God. As he got older um, in age, he became mighty in his own eyes, and he departed from God. Jotham, his son, was loyal to God um, the entire time of his life. He learned from his father. And then Ahaz is that, that king that was just completely resistant to God. And uh, we'll get to chapter 7 here on uh, about Ahaz. But God offered him, I'll give you any sign at all to show that I'm with you. And you remember Ahaz was like, Basically, I'm not asking for anything. He just didn't want anything to do with God. And, and as a result of that, God gave the prophecy of the uh, Messiah coming. And then Hezekiah, we know we know about him. He was a generally good king who, um, who made some mistakes in his life as well. But Isaiah prophesied uh, during the time of about 740 to 686 BC. Significantly, he was alive during the fall of Israel to Syria. Now, remember some of the prophecies early on in the book that Isaiah talked about. Ahaz was very afraid of Assyria, and God said, you know, Assyria would bother them, but Assyria would never enter into Jerusalem, but that Assyria would, and that Judah would never fall to Assyria, which they never did, but Israel did fall to Assyria. Ahaz lived to see all those things come um, to pass. So we talked about some of the contemporary um prophets that were alive when Isaiah was alive. And, you know, we went to some of those, some of those minor prophets as we went through the book of Isaiah to show the similar things that God was inspiring those prophets to say. Those contemporary prophets include Hosea, um, Amos, and Micah. And of course, later on, about a hundred years later, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel lived and were prophets to um prophets to Judah and then and then to Israel as well. Um, in Ezekiel's case, of course, all the prophecies are for then and for us now. You know, Isaiah, well, when you think back over it, it is just a very complete book. It, 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 goes, it talks about things that predate the creation of the earth, takes us all the way into the future beyond um, the eighth day when the new heaven and new earth come uh, are, are formed, the earth passes away. As we go through the 66 chapters, we are we learn so much about the past, the present, and the future, 
You'll remember that we related so many of those things to the book of Revelation as uh, God prophesied through Isaiah in this book. We could see almost the exact same things being prophesied with some of the blanks field. And as I say, in the book of Revelation, again, just validating the Bible and showing it's it is it is the prophecy, you know, prophecy of God. I don't know that Isaiah is the most often quoted book of the Old Testament in the New Testament. Certainly Christ uh, quoted from Isaiah. Uh, Peter did. Paul did. Um, again, validates what's in there as they use scriptures in Isaiah to, um, as they talked and as they preached to the, the New Testament book that they, um, the New Testament audience that they were speaking to. And Isaiah, among all the things with the history, with the prophecy, with the dual prophecy, overall, it is a book. It's a book of vision and a book of hope because in it, you know, God through it, he will, he will chide his people for not obeying him with their heart or not putting their heart into the calling. Uh, we'll see that even in chapter one as we get into that summary. Um, but there's always hope and God never forgets his people. He never forgets uh, physical Israel where they are. He called them his created people. And he, of course, never forgets us, those of us who he has called in this age uh, that he has made a people um, as well. Why is it not advancing here? There we go. So I've divided, you know, Isaiah up into certain sections that kind of speak to what the chapters in these sections are, are talking to. You'll remember as we began the book of Isaiah, when we began it, we actually looked at chapter six first, the calling of Isaiah. But the very first chapter of Isaiah is introduces us to Isaiah and the kings that that he um, that he served under. But it really is God giving a call to repentance to his people. He's talking about how they, you know, uh, pollute his Sabbath days. They do all these sacrifices, but their heart isn't in it. And you remember he says things like, you know, your Sabbath days I hate, your sacrifices I detest. It's not that he really detests them. The people are doing what he asked them to do, but what he detests is they're not giving him his heart, their, their heart. They're just going through the motion without really any thought to it and just thinking all they have to do is, you know, check a box and God's going to be happy. But we know that that isn't what God is looking for. So the first chapter is this call to repentance as God, as God chides the people then and he chides us because in chapter one, you know, he's talking about all these things and we can rate everything that God says to us in the middle of chapter one. He talks about returning to him, come and reasoning together with him. And that he will wipe, you know, that he'll forgive our sins and make us white as snow. But in the very next chapter of Isaiah, then, he talks of, of the millennial scene of going up to the mountain of the Lord, of, of the people in that day actually seeking God's will, looking to go to him, learning about his way of life and those things. So we move right from here's the state of the nation today. Here's the state of my people. They're just not doing what um, God asked them to do. They're not doing what, what God asks them to do, not giving him their heart. And then the very next chapter in Isaiah 2, it's like in those days, after Christ returns, people will. They'll be flowing to, the, the, to Jerusalem. They'll be looking for the word of God. It'll be the things that people seek because they come to understand that 
God's way is the only way to peace. God's way is the only way to happiness. If you're looking for joy, if you're looking for being settled and established, if you're looking for not being anxious, if you're looking for surety in life and, and tying yourself to a rock, the only way is God. It's never to anything in the world. It's always to God. And so chapter two reminds us of that. And people will and will be part of that as people go up to the mountain of the, of the Lord. And, and we're part of that. And we see the people embracing God's way. And chapter three and chapter four go along the same thing. And then in chapter five, we talked about God's vineyard. And God kind of wraps up this section of it by, you know, saying, I've done everything perfect in this vineyard that I planted. And you remember in, in chapter five, he gives all the elements of planting a vineyard that should be successful. Planted on a hill, sun is able to come to it. You dig up the dirt around it, you prune it. Uh, you, prune the, you prune the grapes, you have a watchtower where you can watch what's going in to protect the grapes as they grow. You have the people who can stomp the grapes and turn it into wine. So you have a very, uh, very successful um, a very successful vineyard. And you might remember this picture. You know, this is kind of a, an artist depiction of what a vineyard would have looked like in those days. And you might remember us talking about um, how, you know, in New Testament time, uh, we talk about God is building a house in us individually and collectively. And in that house, it's built upon the foundation of God. And, and collectively, we all learn to work together and become one. And that God supplies what we need, what, you know, Ephesians 4.16 says, what every joint supplies. When we all work together, we can, we can accomplish the will of God. We can preach the gospel. We can take care of congregations. We can help people grow and develop in the way that God wants to with the fruits of the Spirit and all working together. And the vineyard is kind of the Old Testament picturing of that, of everyone working together. You know, no, we have the people in the watchtower there. We have the people attending to the plants. We have the people stomping the grapes. Every single person in, in the vineyard had a part in making it complete and whole. Now, when God talks about vineyards, and he talks about vineyards in the New Testament as well, we learn so many lessons from, you know, what the successful operation of, is, uh, of, of something physical like that is to produce a successful outcome. And that uh, we all work together. We all work together. Not one of the people in that in that picture is any more important than any of the others. It's 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 God who grows the grapes. We do the work that He does that He has us do, and He produces the outcomes the outcomes that um, that He wants to provide. So that that was the first five chapters as as we we set the tone there for the book of Isaiah. Then in the next six or seven chapters. You know, we we read about Isaiah's commission, and then we have prophecies concerning Assyria, and it should say the Messiah as well, because in, in those chapters, we have many of the uh, prophecies of, of the Messiah. But in Isaiah 6, you'll remember how Isaiah was called, and, and you know, he was a willing, he was a willing recipient of God's call, and 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 he's God said, well, who will go? Who will I send? Who will I send out with this message to my people? And Isaiah said, you know, I'll go. And he go. Remember, he he asks, uh, well, how long? How long does the message have to be preached? And in verse eleven, you know, God says, until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant, the houses are without a man, and the land is utterly desolate. 
that never happened in in ancient Israel, um, ancient Israel. But one day that will happen in Israel. And it tells us that the message of Isaiah is as much a message for us today as it was for the people that Isaiah spoke to uh, live back when he was alive in the 700s BC. Um, Isaiah 6 also talks about a remnant of Israel. God promises that his people Israel will never completely be obliterated from the earth. There will always be a remnant. And in chapter 6, he tells us that the remnant will be 10%. It's a uh, pretty, pretty harrowing when you think about the, you know, the 90% um, of the punishment that comes on people because we, we just don't learn to obey God and believe that what he says, if you will just follow what I say and do what I say and trust in me, all these blessings will endure to you. Um, but as humans, people go off and do their own thing, think they know better, they forget God. Um, but he says, ultimately, Israel will, will continue you know, will always survive. There will always be a remnant of Israel um, on earth. And then later on in the book, you know, we, we talk much about Christ bringing Israel back to the promised land after he returns. So chapter seven, I think, you know, chapter seven and, and on through chapter 11 and 12 are just fascinating, fascinating chapters to read. They tell us so much. I, I spoke of, and, and again, I can't see if anyone's got their hand up. I, I can't see any hands. So please, if you have a comment or you want to share something, just 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 start talking, guy, because um, I can't see raised hands for something when I'm in when I'm in the share screen thing. But chapter seven is is just uh, you know this chapter where this the King Ahaz, as I mentioned, and and he just you know uh, even though his father um, Jotham was was very loyal to God. And very true to him, and never doubted. And we we look at Jotham, and he lived his life in deference to God in all of his life. But then his son turned out to be just completely opposite, as is sometimes the case. He just simply resisted God at every turn. Uh, God tried to reach him. Um, like I said in chapter seven, God says basically, "I'll give you any sign. You just name the sign that you want, Ahaz, that will show that I am going to be with." your people, with you and your people. And Ahaz basically says, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I won't, I won't ask. And he couches it as, I'm not going to test God, but he really just, I just, I don't even want to know what the sign is. So in response to that, God gives the sign of the, um, the virgin birth and that there will be the Messiah born uh, of a virgin and that that will be the ultimate sign that he is with his people and have not forgotten them. Now, along the path in chapters 7 to 12, God does give several other prophecies, including those about Assyria, um, who Ahaz seems to be inordinately, inordinately afraid of. And Assyria, if you remember, was just this cruel and fierce nation that apparently all the world was afraid of. They were just, they were just, they were just terrible. Uh, but they came in, they just obliterated people. Uh, history says they were some of the most cruel and brutal people that ever, ever uh, lived on earth. Um, and that the, the, the means of torture that they devised just boggle the, boggle the, you know, the mind that they could do those things to just create the pain that they would people put people through, you know, certainly an element of, uh, you know, Satan 
working through them because they took delight in that terror and that fear that they would uh, put in people. But Ahaz was afraid of them. And, you know, God did tell him they, he, they will never enter Jerusalem. Assyria did taunt them. He, they never did enter Jerusalem. As I said before, they never did conquer Judah. And God promised they wouldn't conquer Judah. They didn't. They did conquer Israel. They did conquer Israel in 722 BC. So everything that God had, you know, foretold came to pass exactly the way that God said. Now, you will remember that as you go through Isaiah, you don't see all the details that I have just talked about with Ahaz. You see uh, several of them in Isaiah 7, um, but you have to go back and look at the accounts of Ahaz in uh, 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles to fill in the blanks and get the whole picture of what Ahaz did. In chapter 7 of Isaiah, we find the element of Ahaz's life where God says, I will give you any sign you want. Um, we don't see that in, in the Kings or the Chronicles, but we do learn in the Kings that Ahaz did everything to stop the word of God. He boarded up the house of God. He put everything into storage. He pretty much up lock, locked up the doors of the house of God. When Hezekiah became king, then he opened up the doors again. They began to look at the book of the law again, uh, something that Ahaz didn't do at all. So as you go through you know, chapter 7 through 12, you see, you see these prophecies and you see them fulfilled. Um, and of course, in Isaiah 8, 9, and 10, and 11, you see the promises of the Messiah. Isaiah 9, you know, verse 6 tells us uh, a king, a uh, child is born into you. He will have the Spirit of God. Um, and it defines what the Spirit of God is. It'll be on his shoulder in Isaiah 11. It talks about him being uh, the king the um, everlasting father, the prince of peace, um, and all of, all those things about about Christ. So in this section, we do find many we do find many of the prophecies of the Messiah. Um, wouldn't be you know the commentaries say there's 300 some prophecies of the coming of Messiah, every single one of which was fulfilled in the the birth of Christ. As you get into the New Testament, wouldn't be a bad exercise. For someone sometime to just go through and list every single one of those prophecies that are there and then tie them to the New Testament being a very good Bible study, very good Bible study for, for someone to do. And just one of those absolute proofs of the Bible as as every single part of the Bible is a, a proof that it is God's word because because no man could have put, you know, all of this together. Um, let me see. And Isaiah 11 I have there. We begin to see the promise that God will bring Israel back to its promised land. Um, it comes after the second coming of Jesus Christ. Um, and then in Isaiah 10, we began to talk about dual prophecies. And then we talked about Assyria a little bit. And we talked about how um, in the latter days when Israel falls, it may well be Assyria again that brings about the downfall of um of, of uh, modern-day Israel. And uh, we talked about some of that dual prophecy and showed how the Bible specifically says that because of the references in Isaiah to such as things as in that day, and speaking of a time beyond the time that Isaiah lived and any of the history of Israel um, prior to the time it went into captivity. In fact, let me see if, yeah. 
Um, in fact, one of the things we looked at from the UCG Bible commentary and from other secular sources as well is, you know, where did the Assyrians go? They were eventually conquered by the Babylonians. Um, it was Babylon that eventually, you know, conquered Judah, but they were conquered by the Babylonians. And where did the Assyrians go? And you remember we talked about that and, and where uh, even secular history says the Assyrians migrated to, because in those days when someone was conquered, they didn't usually stay in the land they were in. They were transported to someplace else, or if they escaped, they escaped up, um, in this case, up into, into the north. And so the very last part of that slide there um, talks about what Smith's Classical Dictionary states. It says, there can be no doubt that they migrated into Europe from the Caucasus and the countries around the Black and Caspian Seas. Indeed, a significant portion of the Germanic people of Central Europe today appear to be descended from the Assyrians of old. And so, you know, when we think of modern day Assyria, sometimes with what's going on in the Middle East today, you'll hear the term Assyria because that was where it was located in the Middle East. But also, you know, the church has, has recognized, uh, especially going back decades, that the actual people of Assyrians, the descendants of the Assyrians, migrated up into, um, you know, Europe and are part, what is commonly believed, the Germanic people today. Uh, what, you know, what does that mean? Well, what does that mean for prophecy? But just something, just something to be aware of as we look at what happened, what happened in, in Isaiah, um, and what, what the future, what the future holds as we look at the concept of the duality of, of prophecy there in, in Isaiah. Mr. Shaggy? Yes, sir. Uh, it's interesting, too, that when Assyria, you know, took all the Israelites and replaced them with some of the, their people, that as the uh, Israelites uh, went into uh, Assyria and those areas, they became a part of the Parthian Empire, you know, as they progressed there in the areas where they were transported. Yep. Yeah, it's very, you know, very interesting, even watching the migration of Israel, right, after they, after um, they were released and they went into the same caucus area, the, the Black Sea area, and then migrated over into Europe. The whole movement of peoples at that time is just a really interesting, really interesting um, study. And then, and then its effect on, on prophecy, on what, you know, what we know, what we know about um, prophecy today and where ancient peoples are located today so you know we put we put up many maps if you recall um in the early chapters of isaiah because there's many cities that we talked about um and so we put up a series of maps because in order to understand isaiah and to really you know kind of get a picture of what's going on as you as you move through the various chapters here it's very good to see where the places are so we talked about you know, Babylon, Babylon out to the east. You know, we have Samaria, which was the capital of Israel. We talked about Moab and we get into chapter 15 and 16 of Isaiah, Moab and um, Edom and Mount Seir and Petra are, are significant. We, you know, we talk about the, the Philistines. We talk about Tyre, an amazing prophecy in Tyre, Ethiopia, uh, when we get into the next section of chapters, talks about has prophecies about all these nations and all these areas that surround 
um, Judah and Israel, if you, if we, we recall. So when you see the map, you kind of see what God is talking about, and especially as he'll talk about um, a movement from one city to another to get a visual of where it where it is. Now, this is just one map. I mean, if you ever want to look at maps, I, you know, the, the, all you have to do is go on Google and put in map of Isaiah, whatever chapter you're in, and you'll find a, a plethora of, of um, schematics there on, on what the map in Isaiah's time in that chapter is. So you can find that, you can find that on the, um, on the internet. So chapters 13 to 23 is the next, you know, the next section. And it, it talks about all of these, all of these prophecies and it, it, it talks about the burden against, right? The burden against these, these various areas. Uh, we talked about Babylon, uh, Babylon, you know, in chapter 13, um, you know, they were an enemy of Israel, but also very significant in the Bible. There's an awfully lot of things we learn about Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar and how Babylon fell and how Isaiah talks about that when we get into, um, you know, Cyrus, uh, Cyrus and God naming Cyrus ahead of time. But in chapters 13 and 21, um, talks about it's the prophecies against Babylon. In 21, it talks about the wilderness. I believe it's the wilderness of the sea. Um but in chapter 21, verse 9, we have that same, that famous, you know, prophetic verse, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. And Babylon certainly did fall in ancient times to the um, to um, uh, Cyrus and Darius and the Medes and Persians at that time. But then it's also prophesied, we talk about, about the future fall of Babylon as well, when we look at spiritual Babylon and and that in the, the system of Babylon that exists at the end time before Jesus Christ returns. And God has some pretty direct prophecies about Babylon, if you will, that, that it will never be inhabited again. It'll be a place where these animals live and whatever. And when you look at Babylon where it is today, it is it is covered by water. It's reported that um, um, Saddam Hussein in Iraq, tried. He really wanted to rebuild Babylon. He could never accomplish it. He was able to build some cities, or not some cities, some buildings away from Babylon, but not on the site of Babylon. God said it wouldn't be inhabited again, um, and, and it wasn't. So we talked about, we talked significantly about Babylon and talked about those prophecies and the prophecies in Revelation 18 about the system of Babylon that exists at the end time and how it will be fallen. And God says, you know, the same thing will be the fate of that of that system. Isaiah 14 talks about Lucifer, ties it into Babylon and the evil of that uh, that um, location. But it speaks of, of um, Satan at that time. Um, between Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, we learn much about Satan, you know, his beginning, how he resisted God, how he rejected God, um, and what you know, um, what God's pronouncements about him um, have been. Isaiah 15 and 16, it's a prophecy against Moab. And you'll remember when we were talking about Moab, we talked about Petra, we talked about Mount Seir, we talked about God's castouts and how he would protect his people in that day. And we didn't draw any conclusions of what all that meant but we did talk about it in chapters 15 and, and 16 um, pretty extensively and looked at verses that were in Isaiah as well as other places that indicate uh, that God has his place, that 
he will have his people that they he will protect from around um, from the dangers of what's going on around them at, at that time. We tied it into Daniel 11 that says at the time of the end when the king of the north marches through the king of the south, um, the land of Jordan, Ammon would be spared at that time. Um, we talked about some of those. We just used the terms that God used his castouts. He will, um, you know, verse four, I'm looking at, at be on chapter 16. Let my castouts dwell with you, O Moab. Be a shelter to them from the face of the spoiler, for the extortioner is at hand, um, et cetera, et cetera. So we talked about those things and whatever God means by castouts, you know, he does have this place prepared. We do remember ultimately that that the uh, people of Moab are 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 wiped out, but that goes to that goes back to that map that we talked about again because in chapters in 15 and 16 God does talk about cities. There is a progression of cities that go down um, from Israel through Moab down to um, the river Ar, I think it is, and down to Aror, and then finally into into Seir. Um, I'll, I'll get, I think I have a map. Well, let me see if I have a map of that. I think I put a map of that in. Yeah, this is, this is the map that pretty much, uh, takes us through the route that God talks about in Isaiah 16. And this is exactly the map we used on the Bible study that night. That little red dot down there is that, that river we're talking about, um, that God specifically talks about in those as he's mapping out where the cast outs will be and where he's going to, to have them be. So, um, oops, I want to go back. Oh, okay. Let's go back to here for a moment, then we'll get on to Tyre. Um, you know, we talked about Ethiopia and, and those prophecies as well. I mean, we went through every single chapter. We are not, I'm just highlighting some of the things here. You remember we talked about Ethiopia and kind of Ethiopia being a unique place on earth even today. And as we talked about that, you know, we talked about how um, Ethiopians show up in other places of the Bible, certainly in, in the book of Acts. Um, you know, the Philip comes upon the Ethiopian eunuch who is reading the book of Isaiah and says, I, you know, how can I understand the book of Isaiah? So, so Philip works with him on that to open his understanding. We have, you know, Ethiopia, um, you know, the Queen of Sheba being fascinated with King Solomon and the riches of Israel and the things that she says about uh, that and some of the legends that are there uh, about Ethiopia. Two things that are just interesting about Ethiopia, whether they ever amount to anything or not in, in the future, as we hear about Ethiopia, it's kind of one of those nations that's there. It's had a, a troubled past in some place, but it's been kind of like an isolated nation on earth. If you recall, um, we said Ethiopia was only one of two African nations that has never been colonized. The other one being Liberia, I believe it is, but it's never been colonized. And it's almost like it's been protected. And for some reason, no one has ever gone in there and tried to uncover any of the, any of the anything that Ethiopia has. It's just kind of like it's been protected there in a way um, and people have stayed out. The other unique thing about Ethiopia is they don't follow the same calendar the rest of us do. They are in a different year, in a different month. They operate under their entirely different system. It's not the biblical calendar, but a different, difficult, a different calendar altogether. So in the world, they're kind of a unique nation 
And when you read through the prophecies of Ethiopia and see um, the significance of them and some of the things that we've read in the Bible, you know, it just uh, just makes you pause and think, you know, about the unique nature of that and some of the legends that are out there about Ethiopia. Only God knows if they're true. We'll find out when, you know, when Christ returns and, and probably not not before then. Um you know, I think one of the one of the the fascinating fascinate they're all fascinating. Everything God does is fascinating. It is only of Him, and and man can't duplicate it. But certainly, um, Tyre, the prophecy against Tyre, um, we talked about we talked about that, and you'll recall that even in the um, in the other books of the Kings, it would talk about how. Um, the king was going to go in Nebuchadnezzar and he was going to just level Tyre. He was just going to level all the houses in Tyre and he was going to take all that land and he was going to build an island out to the little island of Tyre and that that was going to be that that was going to be a, a fixture there, right? And and as we read that in back in the book of the Kings, I guess it was, um, you know, we it was it was just like how did they even do that when you see the magnitude of what the the, the moving land and dirt from one area to another would be. They didn't have any of the modern machinery that we have today, but indeed, but indeed they did it. And the landscape of Tyre has been uh, forever changed um, because of that. So we see, um, you know, in the, the map to the left there, you have where old Tyre is. And then Alexander actually is the one who built this causeway out to the island of what they call New Tyre. And so, you know, you have this this permanent fixture that's just been altered, that has altered the landscape there, altered the borders of, of that whole area. And to the map to the right, you see that that's an overhead of even today. This happened thousands of years ago. And then here today, you see that that whole structure uh, devised by what the Bible specifically said, the houses would be raised, the land would be moved. There would be a, it would be built out to new tire, and that would become um, that would become that, and old tire would just be ruins, and that's exactly exactly what has happened. Um, I, I, there's no one that can look at what has at tire and look at the Bible, see what's happened, see the altered landscape that um, was prophesied to happen and has happened that is there today that could say that that is anyone but God. Uh, you couldn't say it's anything but 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 God because it is certainly uh, something that He devised and and He made He made happen uh, again just a, a tremendous uh, fulfilled a fulfilled prophecy. Okay, so chapters twenty four to twenty seven, there are like four chapters in there. Um, in that. You know, we see, you notice down there, and um, they're, they're more talking about the time before the return of Jesus Christ, as you look at these four chapters. Um, we see the term in that day in there in chapter 25. In Isaiah 24, we read things about like the earth mourns and fades away. It will fall and not rise again. As we went through these chapters, we, you know, we moved into the book of Revelation um, and some other prophecies that even, you know, Christ and Peter um, recorded and talked about those things and how Isaiah has has talked about those. And here it is in the New Testament, um, you know, showing us in more detail. But the verbiage that's there clearly talks about 
Um, the time of peace that is coming, when Jesus Christ returns, he will deliver the people from everyone that they have been, everyone that they have been um, uh, sub subjected to and everything like that. Um, you know, Isaiah, uh, yeah, yes, sir, go ahead. Uh, I know this was way back a couple of chapters, but um, in regards to um, in, um, the, the Jews fleeing, uh -huh. And the people being protected. The verse where our Lord says in um in Matthew, where he says, Then when those who are in Judea are to do are to flee into the mountains. And I was just looking, that's in uh what's that? Matthew, what's that? Matthew 24. Right. Verse 16. Uh I was looking at the the, the map of, of Jordan, and it's very mountainous um to, to Israel's um east. Very mountainous that, that area. So it, it shows that yes, because the command here is let them flee to Let the mountains. Flee. flee to the mountains, exactly. Yeah, very good. So the whole Bible fits together. When you look at all those things and you 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 operate like we have been for the last 66 chapters in Isaiah, you can just see it all it all fits together with the rest of the Bible. Um, you know, in, in Isaiah 25, you know, we, we remember we we talked about waiting for God, just waiting for him. And even though, even though humanly we always want things to happen very quickly, we learn to wait for God. We wait through trials. We wait and endure for him because we have faith and we expect and we know that what he says is going to happen, it'll happen in his time. So we see some of those verses in 25 and 26 that are supposed to be encouraging and instructional to us. Of course, chapter 26 and verse 3 is one of those, you know, verses that come to mind, you know, if, if, if that... Uh, should be all the time, but when we when we're having any kind of trouble or anxiety, you will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed in, on you. Um, and you think about Jesus Christ, everything that he went through, his agony, you know, leading up to his his death on on um, that Passover day back um, in his life, and he kept his mind always on God, always on the vision of what he's there for, and that's what you and I have to learn to do too. No matter you know whatever confronts us. We wait for him, we believe in him, we expect in him, and we keep our eyes on him, knowing that what we're going through is exactly um, what he intends for us to go through. We become stronger as a result. So um, you know, those are those three chapters. In Isaiah 27, remember, we talked about Leviathan. He's one of those uh, legendary creatures of the Bible. We, we, we showed that uh, we're talking about Satan there. And of course, at the end of that chapter, we see God having the triumph over um, over Leviathan. Okay, twenty-eight to thirty-five. Um, you know these these are um, millennial chapters as well, but they're all also warning chapters. You know, Isaiah thirty is is just we should always remember Isaiah thirty, right? There's the key things that happen in Isaiah thirty that we should. We should always remember the, you know, uh, for you, you and me, who God has called his first fruits, you know, provided we continue to follow God and allow him to mold us and develop us into who he wants us to be. You know, we'll be the people that when we're working with people and teaching them God's way and as they, you know, make mistakes or begin to have wrong thoughts, we'll be the ones, you know, tapping them on the shoulder saying, this is the way, walk you in it. You know, and that's that's a very encouraging verses when you look at, at chapter 30 and what God has planned. And then the suddenness in prophecy in the same chapter later on, when you get past that, um, you know, God talks about prophecy and how he works suddenly. 
and how all of a sudden everything that he has prophesied comes about. It's not that it's just all of a sudden. See, what he's reminding us is that we will just kind of lull ourselves to sleep. We'll just get used to what's going on in life, like the bulging wall he talks about in chapter 30. And we get used to the wall just bulging a little more and bulging a little more. And then one day it just bursts forth and forth and, and floods you know, floods the room. And it's like, how did that happen so quickly? Well, it didn't. We just weren't paying attention, weren't paying attention to it. And it's kind of just reminiscent or, or I guess, you know, a reminder of the world we live in today as we watch things continually come about in the world and we're instantaneously, you know, or maybe right when we hear about it, we're just kind of like, whoa, how could that happen? How could anyone think that? How could a government do that? How could people think that, that that lifestyle is at all beneficial or or benefiting to anyone. And we get alarmed at first, but then we kind of get used to it and we get used to society the way it is. And and we don't we don't sense how it's moving closer and closer to the destruction and the end time that it is. And when it finally happens, if we're not awake and if we're not paying attention, we too could we too could be taken by surprise like the world will be. Um, when when these things completely fall apart. So God is warning us, you know, in chapter 30, just like Christ does in Luke 21, keep your eyes open, keep your eyes open and know what's going on so that you aren't taken, you know, you aren't taken by surprise when uh, the world falls apart because it is moving in that direction um, all along the way. Of course, you know, God, he continually warns us as we are in end times and the dangers that can befall us if we don't stay close to keep in, uh, close to him and keep our eyes open, a warning against complacency. So we find a, another warning against complacency in Isaiah 32, much like the one we saw in, in uh, you know, the first five chapters there of the book of Isaiah. Um, and, he, and he warns us, don't, don't become lazy. Don't become lackadaisical. Just don't get used to things. Stay on fire. Keep the zeal up. Keep the energy up. Stay close to him. And of course, we talked, um, we compared that to Revelation 3, the church in Laodicea and the, um, you know, the complacency um, that, that is demonstrated in that church, <clears throat> as well as Amos, uh, Amos 6. You know, Amos was a prophecy, a prophet to Israel and he talks, he talks to to Israel in in that time frame as well. You know, you've got you've got gotten too lazy, you've gotten too too complacent. You're just you're just going on in life, and you're not paying attention to what's going on um, around you. Um, Isaiah thirty three and thirty four talk about the second coming of Christ. Talks about you know uses words like your eyes will see him. Talks about the host of heaven being dissolved. And of course, Isaiah 35 in this, uh, in this uh, series of chapters here is the, the classic millennial chapter, right? The desert shall blossom like a rose. Uh, the lame will leap like a deer. The blind will see. Um, the mute will speak. Talks about the highway to heaven on which, uh, not the highway to heaven, the highway um, on which God will bring his outcasts, physical Israel, back to the promised land. And the highway that he'll have there as he paints the picture for us of, of the kingdom. So we have the these inset chapters there that are very, very hopeful, very hopeful to us, very prophetic and very, very much give a vision of um of the time, uh the time ahead. And then we have these four chapters 
Isaiah 36 to 39, about Hezekiah. And we spent some time talking about Hezekiah because he was overall, you know, a, a king we can learn a lot from. He, you know, he demonstrated faith in God where his father Ahaz demonstrated no faith in God and resisted and shut down the work of God, if you will. Um, Hezekiah opened it all up. He opened up the book of the law. You remember that they observed a Passover at that time. They got the book of the law out. They looked and saw everything they needed to do. They went through all the um, rituals that they needed to do in order to get um, prepared for Passover. It was a wonderful Passover. We learned as we looked back into um, uh, Second Kings and Second Chronicles, as, Isaiah, as Hezekiah did that, the faith that he had in God, the singleness of God, uh, the singleness of heart that that God commended Hezekiah for of having as he sought God with all of his heart as everything went through. You know, we remember the time when Hezekiah was confronted with um, uh, Sennacherib of, of Assyria and who, who challenged and taunted um, Judah and said, no, don't pay attention to your God. Don't listen to what Hezekiah has to say. What, who has ever been able to stand against, you know, mighty, mighty Assyria. Um, and, and, you know, that all that rhetoric and all that talk and, you know, Hezekiah just told his people, just be still, right? Be still, be still and trust in God. And he gave a magnificent prayer as he, as he laid that letter out before God and said, I don't even know what to do. We are completely in your hands on this. And you can just feel the faith. And, and this is just a good example, you know, for us as we read through, um, Hezekiah. He made he made mistakes in his life too. I mean, he had faith in God and God did send an illness on him. Hezekiah asked for more time. God granted him an extra 15 years. But then, but then at the end of chapter 39, we read that he, you know, uh, opened up, opened up the treasuries and a sort of pride to the enemies around to show them the treasures that God had given them. And uh, God, God chided him for that. Of course, remember the miracle of the sundial too. One of the uh, one of the things you know that that just just the sign of the, the sundial and and when uh, God said, "Give me," you know, "I'll give you a sign." It was like let the sundial go backwards, which is a physical impossibility, um, and and indeed and indeed it happened. So, and if I think I think I recall this, I might be remembering something. I think it, I think the sundial we talked about even was uh, invented, if that's the proper word, during the time of King Ahaz. So it was there at that time. And then God used it as a sign of his power in stopping the rotation of the earth and actually turning it backwards um, to have that then sundial um, turn backwards. So that's Hezekiah. And those are really the last historical parts of, um, of Isaiah that we, we talked about. Isaiah... You know, we moved into Isaiah 40, and the commentaries will even say that Isaiah 40 and the next few chapters are just chapters of comfort, and indeed, that's what they are. Um, you know, we've seen we've seen the captivity that Israel would go through. We understand what Judah was going to go through as they were taken captive, and the times of trouble that would be leading up for God's people because of their disobedience, all until all up until the time of Christ's return. And when He returned. He would bring comfort. And that's, you know, chapter 40, verse 1 is that comfort, yes, comfort my people. And, and that's what God does. When he returns to earth, when, when Christ returns to earth, he will bring comfort. I mean, he will, 
he will work with the people. He will heal up their wounds. I'm getting a little bit of my head of myself because, you know, he talks about that in chapter 61, which is a, a tremendous chapter of hope as well. But in these chapters, these eight and nine chapters of Isaiah 40 to 48, we talked about all these things. God showed how he is in control. He reminds the people that the reason that they go through what they do is because they turned from him in, in their you know, there's even scientific uh, scraps, uh, scriptures that are in there um, on God in verse 22 of chapter 40, sitting above the circle of the earth. And some will talk about, you know, uh, mankind didn't didn't understand that the earth was a circle or a sphere until many, many, uh, many, many years after creation. Yet in the book of Isaiah, you know, there it is in, in verse uh, 22, if they people would just look into the book. You know, God gives so many of the scientific facts that man pats himself on the back for discovering um, years later. But we talked about, you know, we talked about things like the coastlands. And when God talks about the coastlands, and we talked about how modern day Israel inhabits lands that have significant coastlands. When you look at America and Britain and New Zealand and Australia and Canada, you have lands that are that have significant coastlands and there's a blessing and a benefit to having those coastlands as part as part of your territory and when god talks about the coastlands in most cases there it's like he is he is speaking to a people that have been scattered around the world but they inhabit they inhabit these these places that have the tremendous uh the, the tremendous blessings of the terrain that they live in um isaiah 41 I think I have a slide on it. I don't know if we'll take the time to do that again. I'll just remind you in Isaiah 41, um, you know, as God is talking about his people, he calls them Jacob. And he says, fear not, you worm, Jacob. And, and you know, people will a lot of times say, you worm, Jacob. You're just like a lowly creature. But that's that word tola this there. Remember we talked about the um, the crimson worm and the significance of it. And I got this, I got the slide next, but we're not going to have time to go through all that. Um but how that relates back that that word of that word tola the crimson worm in chapter forty one verse fourteen um, relates back to chapter one verse eighteen where God talks about um, you know your skins may your sins may be like scarlet but I will make you white as snow and the whole crimson worm just the unique creation that it is and then relates back to Psalm twenty two verse six as well when it's talking about Christ as a worm. And you can see the beauty and the symbolism in that that you would never know if you didn't have Hebrew, um, you know, he, um, concordances that show what the Hebrew words are and then look and see what do those words mean? What does that tola mean? It's not just earthworm. It's the specific type of worm that it is. And in this series of chapter, God talks over and over again about the foolishness of idols. We talked about how it's like Jesus Christ talking to the people of, the, of that day, like these idols, these idols that you worship. Do you realize how foolish they were? I mean, you would make them out of stone, you would make them out of wood, and then you bow down, you would bow down and and and, and kneel, kneel to them. You know, it reminds me when we were in um, the Philippines and, and Manique from Bangladesh was there, and he was talking about um, how he came into the church, how he began to, because he has a Hindu background. And he said, you know, his parents were Hindu and they, his dad would make idols. He would actually carve the idols out. They would set it up in their house and then they would bow down. They would bow down and pray to it. He remembers thinking, this is such a silly thing. We're, you're making this thing, we're bowing down to it. How can that be a God? 
And, and you can see God working in his mind. And that's what led him to start thinking, well, that can't be, that can't be a God. And as, uh, you know, as I read through, you know, this where God is, keeps talking about, you bow down to these things that you're making. You, you take the same piece of wood and make a God, an idol out of it, and yet you burn the other for firewood or you bake your food over it. It makes no sense. And that is exactly how he began to think. There's more to it. There, that can't be the God. That can't be what's holding us together and providing for us. And that's, uh, you know, that's that's kind of what led him eventually. And then he found um, he found something on the Internet at UCG that got his attention. And that's what led him to, um, you know, coming into the church and being baptized. And now he's got that group of 30 that meets in his house as he as he teaches them. So uh, many things, you know, many things in there um, in that series of chapter. Brother Shaby. Yes, sir. Uh, you know, um, of recent, we've had a, um, a recent doctrine um, about, not doctrine, but uh, I don't know, this ally about flat, flat earth. Oh, yes, and yes. Uh -huh. While we were just reading in chapter 40, uh, God graciously showed me, as simple as it is, because mm -hmm. they say the circle is a dome, meaning in that quote, the dome. Now, a dome is only half of a circle. Right. Mm -hmm. So it can't. <laughs> It can be what it refers to because it was a circle as well as a circuit, a complete circuit. It's a complete circle of the earth, yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, you know, uh, yeah. The, the, the whole flat earth thing is just incredible to me that, that people can believe in it. Um, but yeah, but, but when, one day they'll understand. I actually talked to someone not too long ago that was leaning toward that, and I pointed Isaiah 40, 22 to him. And he had to pause and luckily, you know, or I shouldn't say luckily, I mean, to his credit, he said, well, I'm going to have to go home and think about that. And I thought, well, yeah, think about it hard because that's that's in the Bible. And it doesn't say, you know, the flat earth, the plane of the earth that talks about the circle of the earth. So, yeah, the, uh, the argument online is that, that's a dome. That's a dome. And you see when the rockets go off, they scrape the dome because they can't break through the dome. Yeah, it's it's. But, okay. but some of the people, you know, what they think in that is that that has been a hoax from the first time a rocket went up in the 60s, that this has been a whole hoax. I mean, you've read those things, right? And you think, really, you think this was a well-orchestrated global event just to fool everyone that these pictures we see of the Earth are just a fabrication? And for what purpose? What is the purpose that that would happen? And no one can really answer that, so... Uh, this is just the thing I was talking about. I mean, you can go on online Excuse if you want to re review about uh, the Mr. storm. Yeah, yes, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Mr. Shaby, but what was that verse that that he gave Isaiah 40? What Isaiah 40 about verse 22. 20. 22. It must be. It must be in the wrong one there. Let me make sure I'm. I, I don't see a 22. I. I'm. I'm sorry. I'm in Psalms. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. never mind. <laughs> there you go. Isaiah 40. Thank 22. you. Okay, next 10 chapters. Isaiah 49 to 59. Talk about Christ's return. Um, you know, I, I should have mentioned that prior one, too, is where he names Cyrus by name. And that is significant because there are so many commentaries that try to explain that away and say, well, Isaiah must have been written after Cyrus. No way. All the all the all the um, manuscripts, all the dating, everything. It was God specifically naming Cyrus um, as the one who would um, have um, that would allow Judah to go back and rebuild rebuild that that temple. 
So in Isaiah 49 to 59, it talks about the Messiah. It talks, it talks about his majesty. It talks about what he is going to do. It talks about him being a light to the Gentiles. As it talks about the Savior and describes about him, we come on chapter 53, which is the chapter that we read at Passover every year that talks about um, he's, been, he's been bruised, he suffered for us, it pleased God, you know, and, and that verbiage that's in there, that happened because it was part of the plan. Jesus Christ did what it was determined before the foundation of the earth that he would do, that we might have our sins forgiven and that we might um, have the salvation we do. So as you read through 49, 50, 51, 52, leading up to chapter 53, you see the natural thing is God is describing. Here is the Messiah. Here is what he will do. And in his life, he fulfilled those scriptures in Isaiah 53 um, just, you know, just perfectly. Isaiah 54, your children will be taught by him. Speaking of the future time after Jesus Christ returns, Isaiah 55, all you who thirst come often, you know, the Feast of Tabernacles, that's related to John 7, 37. Um, and then we get into chapters 57 and 58 and 59 that are quite um, instructive. You know, chapter 58 tells us, cry aloud, spare not, tell my people their sin in the house of Jacob, or tell my people their transgression in the house of Jacob their sin. Something the church must do, must do, and, and um you know, we have, we, 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 we're talking about that more and more at the home office and how we have to clearly and strongly come out and say what it is that is going on and letting Israel know the sin they're in. That's in addition to preaching the gospel in all nations, um, which is another thing that we're um, focusing on and preparing here, um, you know, in the very many very many ways that we can, the world communicates with each other these days. Um, you have the fasting, you know, the proper, the proper fast that God looks at, that he will answer uh, when we are looking at ourselves and how he corrects us. And of course, you have the, 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 the keeping the Sabbath holy and not finding your own pleasure on the Sabbath day. And then, of course, in chapter 59, quite, quite a, a telling chapter, talks about how sin separates us from God. Talks about the cockatrice egg. I talked about that in a sermon once and how, you know, people aren't, you would never, you never would take this legendary creature that is this little, uh, you know, kind of fire breathing, poisonous, deadly thing that comes out of the egg. You would never willingly hatch that egg because you can never put it back in again. And yet in today's world, we are unhatching all sorts of cockatrice eggs that are opening up dangers that are going to bring, you know, death to the world. Um, around us. And then the last six chapters. Mr. Shaby. Yes, ma'am. So and going back to 58, yeah. um, Isaiah 58, where God says, you know, lift up your voice and tell my people their sins. Of course, Isaiah 58, 13, to me, locks in how to keep the Sabbath holy. If you go back to Genesis 2 and chap in verse 2 through 3, God himself rested on the seventh day, thereby he blessed it and sanctified it for holy use. And the two biggest sins of Israel and Judah were idolatry keeping and Sabbath breaking. Right. So I think Isaiah, when he talks about Isaiah 13, I think that's very, very important that we don't just overread it. 
Because basically, Isaiah 13, he's saying, basically, keep your foot, take your foot off of my Sabbath day. Don't do your own pleasure. Don't do your own ways. Don't find your own pleasure. Don't speak your own words. And he says to call God's holy day a delight, holy, honorable, and honor him. And so we should be having more reverence, I believe, for the Sabbath day than what we do. Um, there's so many other scriptures in the Bible that lock in the point of keeping God's Sabbath holy. I've been a baptized member for over 51 years, and during the course of time, have eaten out many times on the Sabbath day and holy days with different brethren and congregations of the churches of God. And I can tell you from experience, most of the time, except for a brief comment of that was a good sermon or five to 10 minutes about God, the rest of the time we were speaking our own words about our jobs, hobbies, projects, finding our own pleasure in ways and not keeping God as our focal point of topic. And I, I realize that even if we have church brethren in our homes, our conversations can stray as well, speaking our own thoughts. But we should strive to obey God. We must redirect our conversation and thoughts on God and honor him, delighting in him on his holy day. And I just want to point out that after Matthew 24, I think I mentioned this before, the very next chapter, two very important examples in Matthew 25, the 10 virgins. So basically, you're talking about the whole church, the called at once, 10 virgins. Five are only pleasing to God. Five are not. And it goes on down to the talents, the talents given to the one man, five, two, and then one. Well, that man that had the one talent, he wasn't doing anything but sitting in church. He wasn't going home. He wasn't studying. He wasn't developing. He was just taking what the church told him to believe. He wasn't checking for himself like the Bereans. He didn't go through it and check. So as far as I'm concerned, that's a warning. Chapter 25 is a warning to us. It's not just the Laodicean era. I'm Philadelphia. But it doesn't matter where you are, when you came into the church. You could be laying the sea in anywhere down the road. But the, it's, to me, it is better to err on the side of caution than to lose out and have God, our Father, say to us, I never knew you. 50% of the church is going to hear that. Yeah. I, I agree with everything you said. We need to pay more attention to the Sabbath day. We've been talking about it more. Um, we talk about the whole concept of holy, and, you, and you're exactly right. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, we don't do our will on the Sabbath. We do God's will. Everything you said, Debbie, absolutely true. We as a church need to understand that more and value value that 24-hour period that God gave us by, by seeking him, doing his will, and doing his will, and, and leaving like you said, and what a challenge that is to leave our words behind at the things that interest us and, and talk about <clears> it well. So, you know, I, I totally agree. I totally agree with you. So, you know, and, and, and as we move, you know, toward the end of the book of Isaiah, it's interesting as God, you know, that God puts that in there 
he, you know, he talks about fasting, a, a spiritual tool that, you know, probably is largely still misunderstood by many of us. We learn every time we fast, we learn something more about it, how God wants us to fast. Keeping the Sabbath day is an important uh, to him. And as we, you know, move into the last six, six uh, chapters of that, uh, of Isaiah, we, we find the very, you know, all the very hopeful uh, chapters that lead up into to 66. We learn about, we see the fulfillment of the holy days. You know, Jesus Christ has come. He is there, um, you know, uh, for the Gentiles and for all of people. He, he you know, in Isaiah 60, one, he fulfills the the promise of his second coming. In Luke 4, we talked about how his first coming, he talked about what he was doing when he sat down in Luke 4 after he read those first few verses of Isaiah 61 and said, today this is fulfilled in your um, in your eyes. And then in chapter 61, as you go through the rest of it, what he's going to do at his second coming. So we won't go through all those. We, you know, talk about Jerusalem being a city of peace. Uh, talks about the day of the Lord. We talked about millennial periods of time. Clear that we're talking about the eighth day or the last great day, whatever you call it, when we get into chapter 65 and some of the conversations that we've had there. And then in chapter 66, you know, God basically said, this is the one to whom I will look, the one who is humble, contrite, and a word we should all spend a little bit of time thinking about, you know, humble and contrite and trembles trembles at God's word. When we look at God's word, how does it affect us? Do we understand it's the very creator of heaven and earth and the universe, you know, that has, has these words to us? And do they, do they rivet us? And do they, do they scream at us the way we, we need to, um, to live? And then, of course, you know, after God gives, talks about all these wonderful things, but even talks about the things of the the signs or the the traits of the people who won't be part of that kingdom. In, in chapter 24, he leaves it with a very stern warning. You know, here's this lake of fire and the corpse of the, those who transgressed against God. As a reminder to us, stay stay close to God and and do His will. So, um, so that's kind of Isaiah six six the, the 66 chapters of Isaiah in a nutshell. I hope that's, you know, maybe conjured up some thoughts and memories of, of some of the things that we um, we talked about along the way. Um, like I said, I can post that 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 PowerPoint somewhere if anyone wants to look at it. And certainly, you know, every single every single Bible study is is online there. If you ever if there's a chapter that you missed or something, um, you know, that we talked about that you don't remember, you can go back and listen to. And certainly even as you do that later, if you have questions later on, bring them up, bring them up and we can talk about them. So um, let me leave it at that for any comments. And then I got one one polling question I want to ask uh, ask for tonight before before everyone leaves. So. Hi, Mr. Shebeck, Peter, Peter hey, here. Peter. Hi, <clears throat> thank you for that. Uh, what you said at the beginning about the book of Isaiah, uh, past, present, and future. And you've probably heard this uh, uh, comment on the book of Isaiah. As people refer to it as the little Bible. Mm, yes. Mm -hmm. You know, because it covers, it covers everything there. You know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it is, because it covers so much. I, I, I don't yeah. know if there's another book that covers as much as Idea does. Um, you know, 
they say they say that about Hebrews too. That Hebrews is a significant book, and we you know we did a Bible study on that back a year or two ago. So that that's another. Well, they're all significant books. They all are invaluable. So, Mr. Jamie. Yes, sir. Bye, bye, Bailey. Hey, bye, uh, hey, bud. Very, very interesting uh, review, and it uh, stirs up a lot of. Uh, memories and questions, and I'm wondering, are you going to make this available for us that we can get it online? This uh, PowerPoint. The PowerPoint, yeah, we, we, it, we uh, yeah, I can post it. I mean, I, we can get it posted under um, under the post. I'll have to get with Dave Permar. I'm not, I'm not sure how to do that, but we'll, we'll ask him to post it under that Home Office Congregation website, not Cincinnati East, but Home Office. We'll post it there. We'll post it there for um, anyone who wants it. Or if you want me to email it to me, just, just send me an email. and I can Well, we can. Pardon? We do get the entire Bible study okay. by going to the UCG website. Mm -hmm. And I've got a lot of spaces in my notes, and I want to fill them in. So, yes, I'll if, if you don't send it to us, I'll go there and and to pick it up at the uh, sermons. It, it, won't, it won't be there. It'll be, I'll tell you what, but I, 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 I got your email address. I'll, I'll email it to you. So you have it. So you have it. But where it will be posted is under the posts at the home office, congregation, whatever location they call that. It's it's just they, they've changed the way that the URLs are on it anymore. So it's a little more confusing to find it. But if you... If you go to home office congregation, you'll see you'll see it there under the posts. Okay, one Mr. more thing. Oh. Go ahead. Yes, go ahead, Ben. Um, one more thing. One of these suggestions, I'm sure we're gonna have more than one. He, he's got somebody else on there. Yeah, I didn't finish show. Nope, nope, yeah. nope. Okay, hold on. Go ahead, bud. Uh one more suggestion, and I'm sure we could have more than one. I would like to see us go through the life of Paul hmm. and his epistles. I think that is an astounding study. And yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Since we yeah. don't know much about his life during the time of Christ. That's primarily what I want. It's one. I'm okay. sure that others could be coming about. Okay. We'll, we'll add that to it. That's what my polling question is about. What do people want to talk about? What, what book or whatever next? And I've had a few suggestions, so I was going to put those up, and we'll add that one. We'll add that one to it. So, Mr. Shaby. Yeah, Paul. I'd like very much to go through Ezekiel. Okay. We've uh, that that is one that's been recommended. So that's on on my polling list. So. Will Mr. Shaby? Uh, yes, Jeremy? Um, I would like to go through the book of Nehemiah. Okay. Yep, I got your, I got your email. So I have that on my polling list as well. So. All right, thank I you. I second. Okay. I second Nehemiah. Okay. Because we're going to do on the, about the Sabbath, right? Uh, Nehemiah 13 is a key chapter in that whole Sabbath discussion. So, well, yes, what we were talking it, so. about with the that's why I want to go through that too. Okay, 
Okay, let me let me pull to pull the I, poll, the polling question up here now. I I brother, can I be, give you one thing first? Oh, yes. um, a, a type of poll. You know, after you've gotten a summary, you can do a poll and see what uh, see what where the lot the lot falls. Yeah, can you can you guys see this Bible study poll? Can no. I give you one thing first? I cannot yeah. see it. No. Okay. I just wonder. No. I picked up the study, I think, during Acts. Can you remind us which books that you have done? Because I think you did Revelation, but I wasn't part of that. Yeah. Um, do you remember like the a few back that you have done already? Um yes, yes, I do. They're all posted at that home office, that home office site in the sermons, right? The only thing the only things that are listed in that home office site are all the Bible studies we've done in the past. I know we've done Acts, James, Revelation, Hebrews, um, and uh, well, of course, Isaiah. I think I think that's it. And Ephesians. We've done Ephesians as well. So, yeah, but they're there. I'll I'll tell you what I will. Um, what's the easiest way to do this? Um, If you got a pen there, here's here's how you can find that home office location that has all the Bible studies and where the post will be of the PowerPoint. It is ucg.org slash congregations slash home hyphen office. Okay, ucg.org slash congregations slash home hyphen office. And that that's where you'll you'll find all those uh, the sermons. Let me see. You don't have to be. I think all those are posted publicly, so you don't have to be a member of that website to look at them. Um, you, you can be, but yeah, all the Bible studies are listed there. That's the only thing that are there. All the Bible studies that that we've gone through chapter by chapter. Mr. Shaby. Yes, ma'am. Were you gonna Were you gonna talk to Dave per Dave Permar about? trying to get the Bible, the Bible yes. study separated. Yes, I, I am. I haven't okay. done that yet, um, but, uh, but I'm going to, now that we've got Isaiah done, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to them about having that separately posted under a Bible study link. That'll be good. Uh, yeah. Thank you. So, okay. So um, can anyone see this Bible study poll? Is that showing up on your, no. on your, um... no, no. Okay. Now is it? There it goes. Now, now it it's going. Okay. So here's here's what's been recommended um, as our next, you know, our next uh, our next topic. We got the book of Romans that's been recommended, Nehemiah, Hosea, Ezekiel. I threw in there the Sabbath paper. Um, and then Bud has just mentioned something, you know, with the epistles of Paul or whatever. So um, if you want to kind of just pick the one you want on there, um, we will. We will look at that and see what most people want. Now, it doesn't mean we're how all. How do you pick I, it? I actually, I don't know now that you say that. How do you do that? Because um, you can't tap it. Hmm. No, that doesn't work. Do do that. Okay. Yeah, this is this is where. Okay. <laughs> I, I got I got the poll, but let me see how do how do you actually use it? Okay, who who's used one of these polls before? I didn't even think to ask it that question. I just saw how to set it up. So. I've never think. seen one like this. I use Zoom for work, but I don't use the poll, so I'm not on this one. Hmm. I'm on the studies. Uh, Mr. Shaby? 
Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, our, our local pastor here. He's uh, he sent out surveys before. Uh, if you like, I could uh, I could CC him about it. Or yeah, I I I don't know um, what book or subject should we study next. I thought this was so that that live because it actually mm -hmm. said you can you do can. this live. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, where do you do it? Oh, oh live. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Is it in just, the settings, uh, maybe, Mister Shaby? Do what? I'm sorry. This is Liz Mason. Hello. Um, is it maybe in the settings account, like on your? Um, your yeah, has to be enabled. Oh, there it goes. There, there, it is. Is. there we go. Yay! There oh, okay, okay. Yeah, very. Whatever you did, it worked. <laughs> I, I pressed Ezekiel. There we go. I got to submit. Mr. Shavy, may I make a suggestion? Yes. Depending on how many want to go through which books, the yeah. shorter books would be the quicker ones, like Nehemiah, you know, and then say <laughs> Ezekiel. Ezekiel, I would love to go through it too, but maybe yes. knock out the shorter ones and then get to the, I, the longer one. Ezekiel, Ezekiel is a given. We, we're, we will be going through Ezekiel, whether it's absolutely next or or right after that, you know, we'll see. But Ezekiel is another book that I don't think the church has ever gone through, like chapter by chapter. So we are going to do that because there is so much in it mm -hmm. that applies to the day as well that we need to know. So yeah, right. Ezekiel, I do too. I really want to know to hear Ezekiel. It's a hard choice. It is. I think what we will, okay, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll let everyone keep voting. I, I kind of see the trend, so. Thank Mr. Shady. This is Got it to where we can. Mr. Shavey. Yes, yeah. Hello. This is Squibs from Newfoundland. Yes. Hi. Uh, hi. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Not too bad. I was just wondering if you can repeat that uh, email you address that you uh, said a little while ago about getting sure. that uh, PowerPoint up. Sure. Just it to is. make sure we got it right. Okay. It's ucg.org. Okay, slash congregations slash home hyphen office. There's space home in between home. the home is just home home hyphen office. Okay, that's where we went wrong. Okay. Thank you very much. Very good. Okay. Okay. Tell you what we're gonna do. Um it's kind of what I suspected would happen. Um Nehemiah is only 13 chapters long, and since since there has been discussion on this about the Sabbath, and there's so many other things in the book of Nehemiah that we can learn things from, why don't we do Nehemiah first, and then we'll do Ezekiel right after that? Ezekiel's 48 chapters, I think it is, so that's going to take a while to go through. Does that sound okay mm -hmm. to everyone? Nehemiah yeah. and then Ezekiel? 
Yes. Mr. Shaby. Yes. Mr. Shaby. When we go through Nehemiah, when because you have the Sabbath paper on there also, can that just be lumped in with that too? Yeah. We, because we'll, that's we'll, we'll, why we started talking about all that. You, yes, and 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 what part of your homework can be? We won't talk about that paper next week. We'll just get right into Nehemiah. Right. I'll give a little background on it. We'll go through it because there's there is a lot to learn from Nehemiah. He's a very good example for us living mm -hmm. in this age today too, because some of the trials mm -hmm. he faced are what we face. But yeah, but people can yeah. be reading that Sabbath paper as well. So when we get to Nehemiah 13, which is the crucial chapter, in that, you know, we'll be well, 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 well armed with. Um, discussion points so. okay thank you okay okay then that's what we will do next week we will begin in nehemiah when we finish nehemiah we'll go to we'll go to ezekiel okay sounds good good night good night okay. okay. everyone next week thank you bye thank you bye okay thank you bye take care everyone great to be with bye. you tonight see ya oh. Oh.